to take this word that, uh, that you've given and that you, would, uh, that you would grow us in it, God, and that you would help us to know how we are to respond to that. We thank you, God, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In Luke chapter 6, uh, we are right in the middle of the Sermon on the Plain, really, in Luke. It's the sermon, uh, it's corresponding to the Sermon on the Mount there in, in Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 5. <clears throat> and uh, we're going we're gonna to break it up. We're breaking up Jesus' sermon into parts so we can digest it. We can have, you know, we can take it a piece at a time and make sure we understand what he's saying. But it's, it's important that you remember that... that um, this is just one big sermon. It's a big continuous thing. And you have to kind of keep the context of what he's talking about uh, in view through the whole through the whole uh, sermon, because there's a lot of quotable verses in this sermon. A lot of quotable verses that we're going to hear that you probably have heard many people quote before. And a lot of times we take them out of the context that Jesus actually meant them uh, to be in. And when that happens, you end up uh, you end up saying something that you really don't mean to say or saying something that Christ didn't mean when he was uh, speaking. And there's no secret here. There's no hidden language or anything. It means exactly what it says. And we're going to read that. But in this sermon, if you remember, if you were here last week, we saw Jesus presented, first of all, what we call the Beatitudes or what are called the Beatitudes, where blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek. We saw that those were characteristics of someone who's been changed, someone who's been born again, someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean perfection. Doesn't mean you never sin again or anything like that. But we saw that those are the characteristics. And the last thing we looked at when we were uh, looking through uh, Jesus the beginning of this sermon uh, last week, the last thing we saw was that the world is going to hate the believer. You're, they're going to hate you if you're a follower of Christ. And we talked about the fact that you don't even have to be a, a Bible thumping, you know, slap somebody in the head, you know, just offensive. Uh, everywhere you go, you get you a soapbox and stand on it and start preaching. Just living for Christ is enough that the world's going to hate you. Now, today, what we're going to see is he continues this sermon. He's going to jump right off of that passage that he uh, uh, just finished. I think it was 26 where we finished, where it says, uh, or woe to you when men speak well of you, for so did their fathers, the false prophets. He said there that they're going to hate you and you need to rejoice when they hate you. You jump for joy because that's what they did to the prophets. That's what they did to the people that came before you that were God's messengers. And woe to you if they don't hate you because there's a problem that puts you in line with uh, the people that they were comfortable with, the false prophets. And so the the question that you have, the question that immediately comes to my mind is if that is the case, if we've got all of these enemies now, if we've got all these people that absolutely hate us, you know, uh, they may not come out and say, oh, we hate you because you're a follower of Christ, but they will hate you because you are a follower of Christ and they'll make up some reason why they hate you. How do we respond? How are we supposed to respond? Last time we left here and we were talking about the fact that the world hates you and you got all these enemies and you, you may have just walked out thinking, you know, hey, we're just uh, we're in the fight now. Where everybody's against us and you, you maybe uh, uh, had a chip on your shoulder when you left. But Jesus is going to tell us how we are to respond 
to our enemies. And it's not what you would expect. I'm sure you probably know what's coming, uh, but it, this is a hard truth. I'm going, to, I'm going to say some things today that some of you may not like. I'm going to say some things today, I promise you, that I don't like, uh, that expose the, the wickedness in me and expose my failings and my shortcomings. But these are the words of Christ, and we're going to have to take them for what they are. It says, let me just read the passage in 27. We'll start there. Verse chapter 6, verse 27. It says, but I say unto you, which have, which hear, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee. And of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as you would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if you love them which love you, what thank have you? For sinners also love that love Love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you for sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have you for sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great in heaven and you shall be children of the highest for he is kind unto the unthankful and to, to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful as your father also is merciful. There's a whole lot in there. We're going to take it apart, uh, just one little section at a time. And we're going to see how Jesus tells the believer, how he tells his followers to respond to those who hate you, to those who are your enemies. Uh, the first thing that he says is like this big, huge, whoa moment. Are you kidding? He says, love your enemies. Now, <clears throat> It, it, for us to understand what he's saying, you and I are going to have to kind of parse through what it means to love. Uh, I know it's probably self-evident to most of us, and we probably already have a good working knowledge of what it means to love. But really, if you think about it, the language that we use today, you know, I, I love my wife. You know, you love your spouse. You love your children. You love your mother. You love your father. You kind of know what love is in that sense. But the way we use language today, I can also say, hey, I love ice cream. You know, I love ice cream. I love uh I love sunsets. I love walking on the beach. You know, I love I love all kind of things. There's all kind of things that I love. Is that the kind of love that we're talking about here today? Uh, to be honest, if you have an enemy, if somebody hates you and they wrong you and they slander you or mistreat you or, or whatever, most of the time, if we're honest, what we're going to do is just draw back from them. You know, if you if you fight the temptation to not just unleash on them and give them exactly what they've given you, most of the time what we're going to do is we're going to say, you know what, I'm going to forget about the whole thing. I'm not even going to think about it. I'm going to put it out of my mind. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to go around them. I'm going to kind of stay away from them. I'm going to I'm going to just back off and not even be a part of their their deal. And I'm not even going to let them come into my mind. And we think that that means that we have loved our enemy. But is that what he's talking about? That's the, is that the kind of love that he's, he's showing us? Well, he doesn't leave us to guess. We don't have to guess. He tells us exactly. He gives us three commands in this first few verses that explain to us what it means to love your enemy. Okay? He says in verse 27, he says, But I say to you which here, love your enemies. And then he gives us three commands that explain what it means to love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Bless them that curse you 
and pray for them which despitefully use you. Those three things. The first one is you have to love them with action. Do good. It's not enough just to have right feelings toward your enemy. I told you it's going to be tough. It's not just enough to have a right feeling and say, you know what, uh, I'm going to let all that go and I'm just going to go about my life. It says when you have an enemy, when the enemy hates you, we're not talking about Satan. We're talking about people out in the world that have uh, come against you for Christ's sake. Remember that context that we talked about. Blessed are you. Rejoice when they persecute you for the son of man's sake. That's what he said earlier. We're talking about people that despise you and hate you and rail against you because of your testimony in Christ, because of the life that you live. We're not just talking about just some guy flipping you off on the freeway. You don't chase him down to try to do good to him. We're talking about somebody that has has come against you for Christ's sake. It says you do good to those who hates you, the one who has mistreated you and slandered you, you do good. It's not, it's not, the, not enough to say, uh, you know, well, I just feel okay. I'm going to put that out of my mind and I'm not going to worry about it anymore. It says, no, you do good. It's not enough to not do bad. Don't we think about that that way sometimes? We think as long as I don't do bad to them, I am fulfilling the commandment. As long as I don't return slander for slander, as long as I don't give them back what they have given me, I am fulfilling this commandment. No, doing nothing is not fulfilling the commandment. It's breaking the commandment. He says to do good, do good to those who hate you for Christ's sake is what we're talking about. The context, do good to those who hate you. It's easy to say when someone mistreats us and we're an enemy of theirs for Christ's sake to say, you know what? I'm in the right. I didn't do anything to them. I didn't do anything to them at all. Understand this was tough for me and I know it's going to be tough for you, but that's breaking the command. Doing nothing is breaking the command. He said, do good. Do good to those who hate you. The second thing, that's action. You have to do it with action. The second thing is with your words. It says, bless those. Bless them that curse you. Now, we have this thing where uh, blessing and praying for people in the South is kind of an insult. You know, it's like, well, bless you, sister. You know, when you go, that, that can be an insult. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, so don't put your own deal into these words. When someone curses you, that's not just to take a cussing. That's not just if somebody says a bunch of cuss words to you or cusses you out. What we're talking about is something a lot more horrible than that. I mean, to curse you in this context is somebody wishing bad on you. Somebody saying, I hope you die. You know, I hope your children get sick. I hope your house burns down. You can't think of something more awful than that. That's awful for somebody to say that. And he says, when they curse you, when they call down wickedness on you, when they call down evil on you, when they wish evil for you, you are to bless them. And when it says bless them, what it means is to give them encouraging words, to call down goodness upon them. The way that they curse you and call down evil upon you, you call down goodness upon them. Well, I hope that you, you know, you, you hoping and blessing them that they would uh, see God's mercy or that God would bless them in some way. That doesn't even make sense. I know I'm, I'm saying it, it is coming out of my mouth and we just read the text and I'm looking at your faces and I'm I'm thinking that doesn't even make sense. Who does that? Who's able to do that? So you got do good action. You got bless them. That's your words. And then you got the most crazy, the craziest thing of all. It says to pray for them 
that despitefully use you. Despitefully use that word. It can mean mistreat. It can mean abuse. It can mean slander. It can mean all kind of different things in different contexts throughout the New Testament. But this person who has hurt you, this person who is your enemy, this person who has come against you because of Christ, because of your life in Christ, because of you following Christ, it says you are to pray for that person. So this is not a deal. And this is what hit me this week. This is not a deal where you go and you do good to somebody and you bless them with your words. And in public, you go and you give them all of this. And then you come back in private and you say, man, whoo, that was tough on me. I wish I, boy, I wish I sure could. No, in private, you bring that person who hates you into the middle of your relationship with God in prayer, in your private time, in your in the quiet moments of your prayer life. You bring that person before God that hates you, your enemy. I mean, that's that's insane. That's absolutely insane for us to even think about doing to inject them into our prayer time. Now, that's what it means to love your enemy. When he says here, love your enemies, he says, to do good to those that hate you. He says to bless those who curse you. And he says to pray for those who despitefully use you. Now, when you, when you hear those things, he, that just, I mean, it's almost like right now, you're not even thinking about what I'm saying. What's going on in your mind is you've got all kinds of questions that are starting to run through your mind. You're going through scenarios. Well, what if they did this? What if they did that? What if, what if this happens? What if this person has done, I mean, are we still supposed to, I mean, but what happens if they're just, you know, incorrigible or if they do something really, all of these questions are starting to ruminate in your minds. All of these exceptions, all of these uh, scenarios are running through your mind. If I do what you just said to do, Jason, if I do what Jesus just said to do in Luke chapter six, this could happen or this could happen. Or what if this happens? You have all of these scenarios. And here's the point. I'm not going to be able to answer all your questions today about what to do and what not to do in this situation or that situation. But the question that I have for you, the question that was actually posed to me this week is why are you looking for the loophole? Why are we, why are we so easy? I mean, we want to find where the boundary is, don't we? I do the same thing. I had planned on when we preparing this message and praying through it and, and studying through it and reading about what some other people have said about this passage. I, I had prepared a long list of things to show you this exception and this exception, and this boundary and this, this is where this is at. And the reality was I had prepared the whole thing based on our need to know where the line is. So if we cross it, we can say, it's okay. My whole thing was the, the whole thing that I was thinking, the whole thing that you and I think when we hear these commands is where is the line? So if I cross it, I know I'm still okay. That's the wrong question to ask. We shouldn't be always looking for the loophole. We shouldn't be always looking for the exception. The right question is whatever it is that's going on, how can I do my best to love this person where they're at? Now, that means a lot of different things and a lot of different scenarios, a lot of different things uh, are going on in your life, a lot of different uh, uh, ways that people have hurt you or ways that people are, are, you know, in your circle of influence. And so it'll play itself out in all kinds of different ways. But the question that we ask is not where is the boundary? Where is the point where I don't have to love anymore? That's the wrong question. 
That's already looking for a way to disobey the command. The right question, which is just as hard for me, I promise you, if not more than it is for you, is how can I love this person that has done so wrong to me? That's the right question to ask. Well, Jesus is not going to leave us just to our own imagination. He's not going to leave us to, to, uh, to kind of work through all this ourselves. He's going to give us examples that kind of clarify what he's talking about. The best way to clarify anything that you're teaching is to give somebody an example of what you're talking about. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do. Look with me in verse 29. It says, And unto him that smiteth thee, that slaps you on one cheek... Offer also the other. Now, to be honest, I'd rather you spit in my face than slap me in the face. Now, he's not talking about physical violence here. It doesn't mean, you know, this is not a call for Christians to let just some random mugger beat you up in the alley just because you're so loving. And, you know, this is, has nothing to do with somebody attacking you in the Walmart parking lot or something. And you're supposed to just take it because you've got to turn the other cheek. The idea is, is a humiliating, degrading just insult. You can see this over and over again. T two times, at least I know, Jesus was slapped at his trial when he went to speak. When Paul went to speak to the uh, high priest in, uh, in front of the Sanhedrin and give his defense, that he was ordered to be slapped. And if you remember that story in Acts, Paul didn't take it very well. He, he jumped out there and called the high priest the whitewashed tomb and all those kind of things. It's a degrading, humiliating insult. He says, you be ready to take humiliation. And the degrading of someone, he said, if they slap you on the face, you give them your other cheek and be ready to get slapped again. That's hard for me. Come on now. That's hard. That it's, it's nigh impossible for me to get slapped in the face. But the point he's making here is when you love those who despitefully use you, when you bless those who curse you, when you pray for them, what you it doesn't matter what they've done. You might say to me, well, what if they've done this? What if they've done that? What if what if I'm the victim of, of all kind of this slander and abuse and mistreatment? Uh, Jesus says if they go so far as to smack you in the face and degrade and humiliate you publicly, you be ready to take it for the son of man's sake. That's what he says. The second example that he gives is uh, verse uh, where we at 29. He says, and him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Once again, it doesn't mean somebody breaks in your house and steals all your stuff. You're not allowed to call the cops. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is being ready to give up your personal rights to property. For the son of man's sake. In this time, you know, in the, the early church, that was a, it was a real thing. People, they would come, Roman soldiers, take your stuff. They'd take your house, take your, take your stuff, throw you in prison. And so he's saying, number one, you be ready to give up your pride and your self-respect or whatever it is that you have if somebody's ready to smack you in the face and humiliate you. And the second thing, you be ready to give up your stuff, your, the things in this world that you love so much. If they come and they take them for the son of man's sake because of your testimony, because of who you are, you don't ask for it again. You be willing, if you love your enemy, you be willing to give your enemy whatever it is that they're wanting to take from you. That's what it says. It says, him that taketh away thy cloak. And then he says, don't forbid them to take your coat also. He said, almost like saying, give it. 
Give it freely. That's what it means to love your enemy. Now, right now, I can tell. I mean, we're, we're all going like, yeah. so you know what that means, don't you? I mean, do you know that played out in my life, what that would look like? I know. That's why I said it was going to be a hard thing for us to swallow today. But I can't just take I can't just take my magic marker, my eraser and, and pull this verse out and say, well, that don't really apply to us anymore. So don't worry about it. It says the one that takes away your cloak, forbid not to take your coat. Also, the next verse is just as hard. It says, give to every man that asks of you and of him that taketh away thy goods. Don't ask for him again. Ask not for them again. I, I don't understand that at all. I don't I don't. That's not simple. That's not easy. That's not even easy to say. It's definitely not easy to hear. He's saying when it comes to people, uh, your enemies that are standing against you in Christ, that are standing against you because of your life in Christ, because of the way you follow Christ, because of the way you live your life. He said, you be ready to give up everything. Be ready to give up your pride if they smack you. Be ready to give up your personal possessions if that's what if they come to knock your door down and take your stuff. You you be be willing to give. Now, why do we have such a horrible reaction? I've got the same reaction that you're feeling right now. I have the same reaction to this these verses. Why do we have such a bad reaction to it? The answer, I think, in, in my own heart, it may not be in yours, but my own heart, the answer is it's love. He told us to love our enemies. That's the thing that I don't do. That's why I have such a bad reaction. To be honest, if my son or my children or my mom or my whatever, if my family had done something so awful to me and then turns around, they're in a bad need that really we need to help them. I wouldn't have such a big problem with that. Why? Well, Somebody might say, well, how could you do that after they had, have, how could you help them after they've done something so awful to you? Well, that's my son. That's my mom. That's my whatever. See, it makes a little more sense when you love the person, doesn't it? The problem is that we don't love our enemies. The problem is that we don't, that's not natural. And I'm not saying, oh, shame on you for not loving your enemy. I'm saying none of us, that's not a natural reaction to love somebody who has despitefully used you or has come against you or has, has you know, slandered you or mistreated you. That's not normal. That's not a natural reaction. And so we have this reaction when it says, you be ready to give to everyone that asks of you. You be ready to take a smack on the cheek and give them the other cheek. You be ready to give your coat away if they come and they take your cloak. We have that reaction like, that's crazy. It don't even make sense. We can't do that. The reason why is because we don't naturally love our enemies. If you loved the person, I mean truly love them. I'm not talking about, you know, well, I got to go do good. So let me go and bake them a cake. Let me go, you know, I'm not, I'm talking about from the heart. If you loved if I love that person, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have as much of a problem taking an insult from somebody that I loved and continued to love them. I wouldn't have much of a problem from, you know, if somebody was in need, even if they mistreated me, giving to that need if I truly love them. But the problem is that we don't. The problem is that it's not natural that we do. And so the reason why the reason why we have this reaction is because we don't naturally love our enemies. 
And so it's not a matter of, of living our life or what we need to do or, or even following the command. The problem really is if we loved our enemies truly, then these things would be a whole lot easier to do. These things would be a whole lot easier to accomplish. Now, there's lots and lots of scenarios going through your mind. Jesus is going to give us the general principle. He's going to give us the, the thing. I can't answer all your questions today about what this person did or how I should react to this deal. But Jesus does. And here's the here's the flat out general rule in verse 31. He says, and you've heard it many times. And as you would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. What would you want to happen to you if you mistreated Joe down the road and then turns around, you have a need, you have something going on, you have a, a need of a coat, to put it that way, or you are whatever. What would you want Joe to do to you even after you have done something evil to him? That is what you are to do. Now, there are, there are people call this the golden rule. There are other examples of what might be called a golden rule in other religions and other, other spiritual guys have given, but theirs are always negative. If you go and look, I think Confucius had one and Buddhism has one. It's always don't do unto others what you don't want done to you, but that's easy. All you have to do is nothing. Don't do what you don't want done is simple. Just lock yourself in your house and don't do anything. That's easy. Everybody can do that. Jesus is as much more challenging. He says, you can't just lock yourself away and don't do anything. He says, I want you to do what you want done to you. I want you to get off the sideline and stop doing nothing and get out there. And I want you to go to your enemy and you do to your enemy what you would want someone to do to you. That's a whole lot harder. That's a whole lot harder. You're going to have to have you're going to have to have a regenerated heart. You're going to have to have a heart that finds its value in Christ, because if you find it in anything in this world or anything in yourself, you're not going to have the tools. You're not going to have the equipment to go and love your enemy the way that Jesus says. And so he says, I want you to do whatever it is. I want you to do in whatever situation you're in, whatever enemy is attacking you, whatever person has come against you. I want you to do to them what you would want someone to do to you. That's the principle. That's the rule. That's the general deal. So when you say, you know what, I'm just going to forget it. I'm not going to mess around with them. I'm not going to whatever. You switch the roles. And what would you want them to do? Would you want them to come to your house and apologize or give you a cake or, or I don't know, whatever, whatever it is. That's the rule. You want to know how to deal with your specific situation. You want to know how to deal with your specific enemy or the one who has slandered you because of the cause of Christ or is mistreating, persecuting, whatever, because of the cause of Christ. He says you go and do to them what you would have them do to you. That's insane. That's that's difficult is not even the word that describes that. And so. Here's the, here's the big deal as we end this thing up. The question that I have is why? I mean, is it just, I got the command. It's, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. I, I really haven't given you no great theological exposition. That, I mean, I, really, we just read the text. And 
It's difficult, but it's pretty self-explanatory. That's one of the, you know, I read one time a man said, you know, the, the parts of the Bible that I don't understand are not the most difficult things I have a problem with. He said that I have a problem with the things I do understand. And so these things are really simple. They're really simple to understand, really hard to put into practice. But my question is why? I mean, is it just because I need to be good? Is it just because God has given a rule and I need to follow it? And that's a good enough reason if that was the only reason. But the answer to why is Jesus is going to show us from verse 32 to verse 36. He's going to show us that this is about being a testimony of Christ. It's about showing the world, showing your enemy who God is, his nature. And when you and I fail in this point, when you and I rebel in this point, what we do is we slander the nature of God to the people we're supposed to be testifying to. Now, I know that's hard. Listen to what he says. He says, he says in verse 32, let me just read 32 through 34. It says, for if you love them, which love you, what thank have you? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you, if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you for sinners also do even the same? He says, and if you lend to them, if you give to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have you for sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again? He's saying, he's saying here, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist, you all can read. It says, there's no benefit in it. Everybody does that. If you just love the ones that love you, if you just do good to the ones who do good to you, if you just give to the ones who are given back to you, that tells the world nothing. That shows the world nothing because they're all doing the same. If you did just that, you'd be just like everybody else in the world. There wouldn't be any difference between you and the most horrible sinner. I promise you, Adolf Hitler loved his children. I promise you, I don't even know if he had children. I'm just using that as an example. I promise you, uh, I promise, promise you that the worst, worst serial killer, the worst hated person you could possibly think of loved their mama or loved the ones who gave them good stuff or loved the ones who, was, who were able to pay them back. Everybody does that. That takes absolutely no supernatural power whatsoever. It takes no regenerated heart. It doesn't take God at all for a person to love somebody who loves them. That's natural. Everybody does it. So when you love those only that love you, when you do good only to those who do good to you, you're showing the world absolutely zip about God. You're showing the world absolutely nothing. You're looking just like them. That's what they do. I'm not saying don't love those who love you. I'm saying if that's all you do, you have testified to God about, uh, you have testified about God to the world in absolutely nothing. But it says in verse 35, but love you, love ye your enemies. Do good and lend, give, hoping, lend, hoping for nothing. And your reward shall be great. It's talking about a reward given by God, not from men. And it says, and you shall be children of the highest. I take that to mean the world will see that you are children of the highest. Why do I take it that way? It's because of that little ne that next word for it says, and you shall be the children of the highest for because he, God, is is kind unto the unthankful 
and to the evil. It says the world will see that you are different when you act differently, when you love your enemies and do good and live hoping for nothing again. He says the world will see that you are children of the highest. Why will they see that? Because he is kind to the unthankful and he is kind to the evil. And so when you are kind to the unthankful and you are kind to the evil, you are showing who God is to this world. They may still spit in your face. They may still slap you on the cheek. They may still take your stuff. But the point is, he said, the reason, Jesus said, the reason why you love your enemies the reason why you do good to those who hate you and you bless those who curse you and you pray for those who despitefully use you is not just because, oh, you need to keep the rules. These are the rules for us. We're supposed to live by the rules. It's not a matter of that. It's a matter of you showing the world, showing whoever this enemy is, the nature and the character of your God. The nature and the character of the one that you follow because he is kind to the unthankful. He was kind to you and I when we were lost and undone without Christ in the world. We were enemies of Christ. Make no mistake. Romans makes it very clear. You and I were at enmity with God. Enmity means hatred. And God was kind to you. Even before he brought salvation to your doorstep, he reigns on the just and the unjust. He kept you alive. He kept you healthy. He let you breathe his air. He let your heart beat. He let you prosper in this life for years as an enemy of God. And he was kind to you, merciful to you. He brought salvation to your doorstep. He gave his son for you. And so when we love our enemies, and I'm not saying it's easy, and y'all know me as much as anybody else, you know I'm probably the worst one that struggles in this room. But when we love those who have despitefully used us and the ones that hate us and curse us for Christ's name, because of the life that we live, because of following him, you show who your God is. You show who God is. And so there are a lot of questions that I can't answer for you. You know, there's scenarios. Well, what if they've done this? What if they and there are there are crazy scenarios, you know, like uh, turning the other cheek doesn't mean that the wife is supposed to, you know, a wife is supposed to let her husband beat her, you know, or something like there are all kind of crazy scenarios. And I, I can't answer all of them for you. But here's the one. Here's the one question that I wanted to bring. The one question that was flashing before my mind as I was studying through this passage. Uh, the one question I wanted to bring to you is. Is the question you need to answer is, is he worth it? Because that's what Jesus seems to be pointing toward. He says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who, who uh, curse you and pray for those who despitefully use you. And he says, then, you know, if you do that, your reward will be great. Uh, God will reward you rather than just men enjoying the reward of men. He says, and you will show the nature of God. You will be as children of the highest because God is the same way. He is kind to the unthankful and the evil. And the question you and I have to answer today is, is that enough? Is that enough for me? Is he worth it? Is it worth it to me to take this insult or this reproach or this whatever, this persecution and show them the nature of God. Is that worth it? 
Is it worth it for me to say, okay, I'm going to bless those who curse me. I'm going to pray for those who despitefully use me. And the reason is because I want to represent the name of my God. When you and I refuse, when we rebel and it happens, when we say, you know what, forget that. I'm not loving them. I'm not praying for them. I'm not going and doing good to them. I'm not doing any of that stuff. You're not just, oh, he broke a rule. You're not just breaking a rule. What you're doing is you're telling the world that my God is no different than you. He only loves those who love him. He only does good to those who do good to him. He only, he only hears the ones who, who are, are righteously living before him. And if you, what you're saying is my God is no different than you, than you. My God is no different than the world. He's the same as everybody else. He only gives to those who give to him. He only does good to those who do good to him. That's not the truth about God. That's not true. He reigns on the just and the unjust alike. He gives air to breathe, which is a mercy and a grace to all the sinners in the world, including me. He gave me life, breath, health. He gave me all of these blessings for 29 years. When I hated, what? When I hated him, I was like, I, I look pretty blessed. When I hated him. So the question is, is he worth it? Is he worth it to you? Is it worth it to represent the name of God? Is it worth it that the world would see the truth about God? Because that's really the question. If it's not worth it to you, if you say, you know what, forget that. I don't care. I don't, I'm not going through that. I'm not putting myself through that. I don't care what you say. I don't care what that Bible says. I don't care what Jesus said. I'm not going to take it. I don't care. What you're, you're not just breaking a rule. You're not just, which is bad enough. You're not just breaking a command. You're not just saying, I refuse to follow Christ, which is bad in and of itself, bad enough. But you're saying, I have chosen to tell the world that my God is no different than anybody else. I've chosen to tell the world that my God is just as selfish and capricious as everybody else. And if you don't do good to him, he's not going to do good to you. Right. I have represented my God in such a way that I don't care. And if if it's not worth it to you, if it's not worth it, if I'm not saying you don't have a ways to go, I got a ways to go. I'm not saying you don't have work to do. I'm not saying that you're going to hit the ball out of the park and make 100 every day at this. I'm not saying you're not going to have to struggle with some things and fight with some things. Not saying any of that at all. What I'm asking you is in your heart, down in the depths of your heart right now, is it worth it? Is it worth the fight? Is it worth the struggle? Is it worth the effort? to do what Jesus has commanded us to do right here. Is it worth it? If you can look down in your heart and say, you know what, you're, you're nuts. I don't care, I'm not, there's no way I'm, there's no way I can do it, and so I'm not even gonna try, I'm not even gonna attempt it, not even gonna listen to it, don't care. You, my friend, are an idolater because you've chosen rather than serving God, living for God, worshiping God, finding your joy and your peace in God, You've chosen to find it in yourself. You've chosen to find it in your goodness. You've chosen to find it in the reward that you get from staying away from that enemy rather than putting yourself into the battlefield by going and doing good to them, maybe getting another slap in the face. You've chosen, you've chosen comfort and security and all of these things 
to satisfy you rather than God himself. If that's you today, you can come to Christ. You can come and trust in Christ. And he says, I'll give you a new heart. And you won't, you won't make a hundred every day. You won't, you won't automatically start keeping all the commands of God. It'll still be a struggle. It'll still be a fight. But down in the depths of your heart, you will have a desire, a desire to show the world who God is. You'll have a desire to show the world who Christ is. It won't just be about, oh, dang, I got to keep the rules. So let me go do it. It'll be about showing the magnificent mercy and the kindness of God who was kind to you when you were unthankful, was kind to you when you're evil. And that, that testimony of who God is, is what grows his kingdom. And it's what God uses to bring people into the kingdom. And so you and I need to ask our, we got lots of questions. What if this happens? What do I do in this case? The question we most need to answer before all of those others is, is he worth it? Is he worth it? All the other questions will get answered if you can answer that question. Is he worth putting myself into this possibly dangerous position, possibly hurtful position? Is he worth it just to show who our God is? If he's not worth it to you, come to him because only he can change your heart. It's never going to be worth it to you. It's never going to, you're never going to come to a point where you know, you know, I've thought about this and I think you're right. I think I'm going to change my ways. That's never going to happen until you've been born again. You must be born again. Come to him today. Father, we love you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your word.